and welcome back to the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brady and I'm here with Sophos experts Paul Ducklin. <laughs> Fido Iden. I'm not going to bark, but hi. <laughs> and Peter McKenzie. Hello, Anna. What Hello. animal's he? Yeah, I was yeah. I was hoping for a bagpipe or two, or, <laughs> but you know. Peter and Greg, it's lovely to see you back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so as usual, we pick the top stories from the week to discuss on the podcast. So coming up on today's show, Peter runs us through the latest Sophos Labs ransomware research. Duck's talking to us about Apple's new plan for 2FA, and Greg's discussing a Twitter account takeover with a difference. Peter, before we start, I need to have a word with you. Oh dear. Why do you keep cancelling on us on the podcast? I keep getting called into disaster zones to help out, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah, so I, important. I've been dealing with last couple of weeks, so we had a riot ransomware attack on a homeless charity. That was particularly Ooh. nasty. Um, they came to us after the attack and um, they lost pretty much, I think there were about 150 machines and they lost pretty much all of them, all of their servers. They're actually having to go to a bank to get a loan to pay the ransom. Oh, and this no. is a, a charity that deals with homeless. Uh, I won't say which country, but... Um, yeah, yeah so that was good. a particularly nasty one. Um, then we had Medusa ransomware attack on an insurance firm in the US. That encrypted, I think, a couple hundred servers. That was a big one. So, yeah, and there's a few other things going on as well. So, including the Robin Hood ransomware, which we'll be talking about today. Mm. But, yeah, and I, um, it sort of prom- prompted me to make a, um, a Twitter post uh, about the ransomware groups that are targeting large enterprises ah, yes, at the all. moment. Yeah, because um, as Duck was um, saying to me earlier, yeah, everyone sort of focuses on the one main group that's, you know, in the news at the time. But actually, nowadays, it's, I mean, there's hundreds of ransomware groups out there. But I put a list together of the sort of the, the what I call the big players, the ones that are going after large enterprises on a regular basis. Who's on your list? Riot ransomware, and I did say on I did say on my tweet that these aren't in any particular order, but I did it felt like Riot had to be at the top mm, yeah. anyway, just because of the sheer frequency of their attacks and the damage. Uh, but then I've got they're, they're the biggest in value, aren't they? They're like, the ones up that up to you, millions. Of yeah, dollars. so you get you have Emotet that spreads Trickbot, and then Trickbot gives the access to the Riot guys to come in and do their devastating attack. Typically, they only target servers. The rumour is because... Oh, I say rumour, I think it's me that's spreading the rumour. It's <laughs> <laughs> a theory, it's a theory um, that yes. they don't want to damage their trick bot and Emotet botnet because obviously that's still earning the money. If you can hit all the servers and make a nice ransom payment, why bother? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they. I think they were the first to do a $5 million ransom or at least publicly acknowledged for doing one. And um, was that paid? There have been some that have been paid that high. Seven yeah. digits. Yeah. Yeah, but Shocking, they regularly it? charge anywhere between well half a million dollars and and up nowadays. Yeah, um, it's a far cry from three hundred dollars a pop from yeah. Crypto Locker, mm. isn't it? I heard about a um, one we're not investigating, but a Snatch ransomware attack that happened. I think it was this weekend on a UK company, and that's seven hundred thousand uh, pounds ransom. So. Yeah, they're big, big mm. monies now. But yeah, so um, Riot was the top of the list, but then I had Revel or Sodniki Beak. I still don't know how to pronounce that. Um, yeah, Revel or R-E-V-L, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Bitpaymer, um, which is another one, comes in through Emotet and then um, Drydex, although you don't always have to have Emotet, but typically Drydex will lead to Bitpaymer. Um, another one to that is Doppelpaymer. Doppelpaymer and Bitpaymer, very similar we don't know if it's the same group or it's a lot of the same code. Um, you've got Mega Cortex, which is one we discovered 20, 
18, I think it was. Um, Maze, which has made the news recently. They steal data and make it public as well. Um, Snatch, as I just mentioned, we published information on Snatch a couple of weeks ago. Medusa, uh, similar to Snatch, both of those restart the machines into safe mode before launching their attacks, so very dangerous. And then Robin Hood, which is the one we're talking about today. And then I also listed a few more, but uh, you have to go read my tweet if you want to see those. Oh, Alice put it in the show notes. What was shocking about that is when I saw it, I thought, oh, he didn't read the guidelines on Twitter, you know, where it's supposed to be a 16 by 9 uh, um, oh, yeah, picture. landscape yeah. image. And then when I clicked on it, I realised why. <laughs> that Here's the short list of the main families, and it's quite a long for a short list because yeah. that's not exhaustive, is it? There are loads of others oh, as no. well. Um, so there's a, there's a great website... Um, well, it's not a great website to use because it means you've been attacked. But um, if you Google or Bing, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, <Bings. laughs> Duck, duck, go. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. I should have said that, that one, actually. Yeah. Yes. I'm down, I'm down. Um, anyway, using a search engine, if you search for ID ransomware, you'll find a very good website um, made by a guy called Michael Gillespie. If you upload an encrypted file and a ransom note, it will try and identify which ransomware family those belong to. And they can now identify over 800 different ransomware families. So, and that's just the ones they know about at the moment. There'll be more and than that's that. And that, that, that's not an exhaustive list going back. That doesn't include the crypto lockers. No, no, it does go back. So that does, oh, okay. It does go back to crypto lockers and Locky. And well, that's still whatever. echoing around on the internet, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still around. But, um, but not, I mean, yeah, but they, that's their whole list and there's more being added pretty much every day. So, Well, the real problem with super old ransomware, of course, is if particularly if those guys have yeah. been caught or in prison. You can't pay them? That you can't pay them. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, good luck. It, that, What's the problem? Really I see have lost your data. I get a few friends that have uh, still, still occasionally going and sourcing uh, the odd movie and game from the... Uh, the illicit places on the internet where you shouldn't be, you know, getting a game or something. And uh, yeah, you see them get owned. And uh, I kind of don't feel sorry that sorry for them. I do yeah. help them out get recovered. But yeah, this is the real problem. You get some old file that was uploaded to BitTorrent like two years ago with nasty ransomware in it. Double click, bam, you just got ransomed. Yeah. Can't pay them back. And yeah. Oh dear. What a really glum beginning to the podcast. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, can you cheer us up? Uh, yeah, do you know what? I will try. Okay. Okay, so I'll have to do it in a really upbeat voice. I Please do. Okay. I feel like that's that's your contribution to the podcast anyway, your upbeat voice. I think it's all I offer anyone is just <laughs> upbeatness. Yeah, so, okay, this comes from some cool story from our chief data scientist, or sorry, I, I think he prefers chief scientist, mm -hmm. uh, Joshua Sachs. Uh, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Um, you should follow him on Twitter. Thanks, it will Greg. blow your brains. Yeah, <laughs> come on, come on. Fair you enough, look at his tweets. Uh, I mean, his tweet last night was incredible. He, uh, I, I made a, I retweeted it. I basically said, if I, if my Brenda, uh, my Brenda, if my, <laughs> if my blender broke, I would take a photograph and be like, oh no, my blender broke. Josh, however, analyzes the cost effectiveness and builds a, a return, you know, like a, a mathematical like diagram showing like the return on investments and how many blends he got out of it and oh, so on. Yeah, oh, nice. excellent. I love his brain uh, to no end. What you want is to run the, be able to run the blender backwards. Exactly. To so reconstitute you can get some, to the get the back. Exactly. <laughs> get back all the use. If you just spin it the other direction, it's like, you know, the odometer on a car. You can undo all those miles you did. Um, anyway, so so Josh has published something that kind of... Like that anymore. <laughs> You've got to ask the right people. <laughs> so Josh is... Uh, so Josh is... So Josh does something really amazing. He's published this thing called uh, Yara ML. I'm going to have to unpack some of this, but... Um, 
it's just for anyone who doesn't know, like in machine learning, in the field of machine learning, it's all about building models. And models are mathematical representations of real world processes, like analyzing a file and determining if it's good or bad, or finding a face in a video or an image, right? A model is the maths that achieves that. And those models are trained on thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions or hundreds of millions of sample bits of data, which help train them to make them really effective. But the problem with these models is they're black boxes. And what I mean by a black box is that you can't see inside it, right? You can't see how it works. You can't interrogate it to figure out how it came to its decision. Um, and so, you know, typically, you know, if you have a machine learning model you're using in a product or something, you give it a file, you say, is this good or bad? And it'll tell you, good or bad. But I, I think to go back to my school days, I think a teacher would say, please show your working. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're doing maths, you should show your working. So Josh has come up with an ingenious way to compile the resultant model from his from training, and you know, this model, into Yara rules. Now, Yara rules, I think Yara's are one of those ac silly acron uh, acronyms where it's like Yara's not, uh, Yara's another recursive acronym or yet another ridiculous acronym, I don't know. It's basically some nerdy uh, language for making um, rules for detecting things, right? It's perfect for security researchers. It was made by Victor Alvarez from VirusTotal, and it's a way of, like, making a pattern for text or binary data or whatever. It's a really cool way to just, you know, if you've got a virus like that, you can write a Yara rule, and it will be a kind of generic, universal virus language. Anyway, um, Josh has then started publishing his his models in as Yara rules, and he's done it for really like complex things like Macintosh, um, the architecture is known as sort of Mac O, but like Mac O binaries, PowerShell scripts, and he's building these rules from his models. So it means that anyone can take the models, stick it into their threat hunting tools or uh, you know or whatever, and use it to find sort of hidden threats. But when you do find something with it, you can understand well what in the rule triggered it, what string was it, what binary pattern, uh, and it actually means, instead of just having a black box saying, yeah, good or bad, you can actually try and peel back some of that and understand how it works. But not, not only is it like not a piece of software, it's a Yara rule, it's super portable. So it's open, it's portable, it's on GitHub. So anyone who wants to just plug this into any solution that they're already using that takes Yara rules, you can take the results and you know efforts of, of Josh and his team and just throw it into whatever you're using. I mean, he started off with just Maco and PowerShell, but his goals are huge. Like he's going to work on uh, ten different formats, looking at document types. So you know, Doc, DocX, XLSX, PowerPoint, RTF, PE files, PDFs, loads of plans for that. The goal is to like publish new rules every two weeks based on the latest threat feeds, and you're effectively getting kind of industrial grade um, security definitions in a really portable and friendly mm. way. And I just love, I love the, I love the openness of it. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing. You know, machine learning, a lot of people see it as like, uh, maybe it may be a load of marketing nonsense and mm. not really living up to the hype. And I think this lets us play with machine learning in a more open and portable way. And we can see that the hype is real. And I just think it makes it, it's a, it's a really cool, useful tool for everyone. Yeah. So yeah, bravo, Josh, if you listen to this. Love you, man. What a great effort. Um, and anyone who's looking for it, it's on github.com forward slash Sophos AI. Sorry, Sophos hyphen AI. You're looking for Yara ML rules. Uh, it's on Josh's Twitter as well. I think we'll stick it in the notes. Yeah, yeah. stick it in the notes. I think the problem for the average person, if you go, oh, well, I want to try some Machine, building mm. machine learning rules myself is that if you're going to get your own training sets, then you need a great rack of disk drives yeah. <laughs> and you need a huge internet bandwidth to be able to collect them. And then you need, you know, a million dollars worth of Amazon time to be able to do the yeah, processing. Yeah, do all that processing. Uh, whereas if somebody's already pre-done that and kind of got it into a 
pre-masticated state, mm. then you can at least have a go and say, well, what am I seeing? What, what, what do I find in here? Even if it doesn't mean much, even if you don't get much data out of it, at least you can have a go yeah. without having to build a, you know, a, an international railway network first yeah. to be able <laughs> yeah, to exactly. get from A to B. It's like you're already at B. Um, welcome to the club. So yeah, cost of entry is super easy. I mean, it, it a, it's free. Like that's a great one. But also, if you're using like uh, a lot of like threat hunting tools that big enterprises are using, will mm. typically allow them to ingest Yara feeds. You know, Yara rules to help them find stuff. So if there's a threat hunter out there that you're trying to find, you know, dodgy looking PowerShell scripts or or you know Macintosh binaries that typically pretty hard to find you know you have to find evidence of them doing nasty things but to analyze them as scripts themselves these yara rules are a killer thing just kicking you know kicking on github ready for you to throw into your product so um yeah it's a collaborative project also reach out to josh if you want to work on it it's open it's on github it's a it's a community thing so yeah uh, reach out cool thanks greg duck um apple's come up with a way to make sms 2fa codes less vulnerable to phishing attacks hasn't it yes that's what it says mm. big exciting story they you know what they're proposing is not new other people have had the same idea before as we'll get on to in a bit uh, but the idea is that you should be able to receive one of those magic login one-time login codes via sms and then not get tricked into putting it into the wrong place uh, you know, for, for those of you who aren't using two-factor authentication, please do where you can. It's the idea that you have a username and a password which are kind of the same every time. So if the crooks get the password, to make it less useful to them, you also have that one-time login code. Mm. And most people will have done this at some time or another. And typically, you either get a little a little fob or a separate device that shows you the digits. Or if you're in the UK, the banks like things where you put your credit card in and use that as the calculator. You type in a code and it displays the result. But that's a little bit of a hassle. So the other way of doing it, so you don't need a separate token for, or a separate device for every account, is you use your mobile phone. And two ways. One is you use an app that generates a six-digit code. The other is the person you're logging into just sends you an SMS. Mm -hmm. It's dead simple. It works on any phone. There's no need for a for a secret code or anything. It just sends you this six digits. They last a few minutes, and it's a one-time code. It's a great idea, but what if the crooks send you to a phishing mm -hmm. site and you end up typing in your code into their site? Then they've got the code that's supposed to be a secret. So what's what, what have Apple done then? Well, the problem is they figured, well, what... The problem is that everybody who generates SMSs tends to do them differently. So some people say, hello, I am XYZ service. Your magic code for logging in this time, and they give you the date and the site is, and then they give you the six digits. Mm -hmm. Others go, code, six digits, is your logging So in other words, actually figuring out which is the website that you're supposed to be logging into and which is the number, it should be really trivial. So Apple said, guys, why don't we make this really simple? Send a message. Kind of put whatever you like in it, then put a new line, and then have a single line that just goes at sign, domain name, hash, or number sign, the six-digit code as the last line, and then it's easy for anybody to pull out the website name and the number and stick it into the right place so you don't have to go and figure and copy and paste it into the website and type in a web name yourself. Mm -hmm. So the, all they were really doing is saying, let's agree on a standardised way of writing something down. Mm -hmm. And boy, what a reaction we got in the Naked Security article we I wrote. I know, there were but a lot of It's like comments. the sky fell. Yeah. <laughs> so, somewhat, so Duke McAwesome. Um, sorry, sorry, Duke, Duke McAwesome. Mm, I don't. I'm Is guessing... he friends with McLovin? <laughs> well, maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Cool. That's a good. That's a good nickname. I like that. Duke McAwesome. It's not as good as Fido, but you know. Um, so he said, 
Apple, being the amazing forward-thinking innovators they are, have come up with an idea which Android quietly implemented three years ago. Aren't Apple amazing? I presume that was said with a hint of sarcasm. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> and elsewhere in social media, that was, I thought that, that the response from people would be, well, they'd have a problem with the idea of using SMS at all, they'd have a problem with the cryptography, they'd have a problem with 2FA, we should be using fingerprints or irises or retinas, or something like that. But no, 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 it, it turned into sort of handbags at 20 paces between the fanboys and girls of the mm. world. Oh, Google thought of this first. And there is some truth in that. Google have this thing called the, the SMS Retriever API, mm-hmm. which is a way that a program can tell Android, go and look at this SMS, figure out which is the number and which is the website. And then when the user says, I want to do the two-factor authentication, go and help them choose the correct digits and put into the right website so they can't get fished. And they have been doing that. You know, so, okay, so Apple did well on the PR front and everybody covered this. I think what Apple was doing is they're saying, we're not proposing something which is an API which we're going to build into mm-hmm. iOS when everyone would hate them and go, oh, stand yeah, right. keep it secret. Mm. They're just saying, look, guys, let's have one line at the end of the text which is just at domain name, hash, number, how hard can it be? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe it isn't innovative that what Apple are doing, but I think what they are doing is saying this could be really simple. Yeah. We know that there's an issue with SMS or two-factor authentication we know that phones can you know people can swap sims and all that sort of stuff however if you're going to use it you may as well help the user out so that they don't have a lot of fiddling and copying and pasting and messing around with browsers which is hard on a mobile phone where they could make a mistake so i think that i understand yes google has been there before but Apple is trying to get everyone on board, not just saying, if you write Android programs, then here's an API which will do it for you. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Good on the, Apple. And the big difference here is that, that, you know, an API is helpful to developers, but this is helpful to your average user, right? They're trying to make 2FA even simpler for the vast majority of people. Uh, you know, I, that, that, a standard like that's awesome. Yeah. You know, any, if, I, if I could, you know, if every single app and service like that my, my parents use or my grandparents use or whatever was following some simple standard like that, it makes it easier for me to teach them how to yeah. do 2FA. The at is the website that that codes for, the hash, and then those are the numbers you type in versus look at the text and then some of them tell you IP address, some of them tell you all sorts of stuff. Mm. Some like, of you know, happy words. Yeah, yeah, you know, marketing stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the Apple's thing is machine-readable and human-readable yeah. all in one go. So, yeah, I get the point. Android's been doing this for ages mm. and there have been a lot of proposals for automatically processing mm. these messages. So I... I think Apple just went to the community. Maybe people should be happy that Apple's being a bit more open sourcey than perhaps they usually get credit exactly. for. Mm. Even though the core of their operating system is open source, yeah. and you can go and download it and look at it. They're acknowledging a problem and they're trying to make it better. You, mm. you know, well, that's the worst case scenario here. So yeah. you can't really fault them for that. Hate's going to hate. That's yeah. it. That is it. That is always a problem. I think people are looking for opportunities to be negative. Yeah. This is actually a resounding thing I'm seeing, especially on my Twitter feeds from a lot of commentary now. It's like people just seem to want to be negative oh. about something. You, it's really hard to, you know, to feel positive in the cybersecurity industry where everyone's looking to to, to find some a way to knock someone down a mm. peg, especially mm. an organization as large as Apple and as successful as Apple. I think a lot of people want to see it knock down a peg, and that's fine. I get people's you know desires, but. When it comes to trying to make the world a safer and more secure space, I think we should champion positive news like this mm. and just be like, hey, Apple, thanks for wanting to work with the community to make things better. Here's a nice, polite suggestion, some commentary to how to make it better. Positive but feedback. Thanks, yeah, yeah, be positive yeah. and upbeat. Well, that's be something great. you're used to if you if you work for 
let, let's call, let's refer to Sophos glibly as an antivirus company, Ooh. is that, you know, you, you, you never get credit for the 999,999 bits of malware you block. You always get hammered for the one that somebody missed because they didn't even install your product yeah, in the exactly. first place. <laughs> yeah. So we had another comment from Olaf. Potentially a slow man, don't know. Um, SMS as MFA is better than nothing, but that's all. It's been weeks since SIM swap fraud has brought the whole mobile phone industry into scope. This is working on it from the wrong side. Swapping SIMs needs to be harder if they're going to continue to use it. I M H O, in my honest, humble, honest, in my honest opinion, SMS is a dead end. I think it's supposed to be humble, but it it never is. (laughs) Controversial. It's a dead end for security. SIM swapping is made by made easy by legislation to encourage people to shop around for deals better to just walk away and use an authenticator app or a biometric i mean yes i that was the criticism that i expected to be the one that i, I didn't expect people to go and google thought of this ages ago and and to have a big big war of words about that i thought that people would be saying look apple why mm. don't you try and get people off sms based two-factor authentication um th- just to explain what for, for what sim swap means some some countries call it uh, number porting. Like in Australia, that's how it's known. It's basically the idea that mobile phone companies are no longer allowed to keep your phone number hostage so that you can move between providers. And that means you can keep the same number, which means that you can kind of walk into any mobile phone shop. So I lost my phone, I want to replace it. And then convince them that you are so-and-so, buy a new phone. And if you've got a stolen credit card, you're not actually paying for it. And and then get a SIM issued, which cancels the previous one and basically transfers the phone number to you. So suddenly the text messages and the phone calls start coming to your phone and crooks can and have used this in order to get people's 2FA codes so they get the person's password then basically steal their mobile phone without stealing it and so a few years ago NIST the National Institute of Standards and Technology sounds about right in the US that the stand that the science standards body mm. said that uh, they set things like standards for cryptography. Said what we're going to do is we are we want to deprecate, which means we want to see it die out. SMS two-factor authentication because, as the representatives of the government, we can't anybody we can't control reissuing of SIM cards for mobile phones. And what that means is that we're using these as cryptographic devices for the public sector, but yet we have absolutely no control because a 19-year-old salesperson in a mobile phone shop can issue someone a new SIM, either by accident or by design. Mm. And as a result, everyone says, oh, SMS two-factor authentication is dead. However, in my not-so-humble opinion, mm-hmm. uh, it is a lot better than nothing. Yeah, and we that's are, right. We are going to use it because it is quite convenient and it, you don't need a fancy phone, so it even works in countries where people don't have smartphones. And the nice thing about a SIM swap, or the, bad, the, the good and bad thing, is if someone swaps your SIM, your phone will go dead, so at least you have a fighting chance of knowing that something has gone wrong and you can steam in and try and avoid it. And the crooks still have to get your password first mm. and then they have to get your phone. So I think what Apple's doing is saying it's it's kind of a necessary evil. It'll probably be around for a little longer. So let's try and deal with the fact that most people don't get SIM swapped. What they get is they put the real code, the legitimate code that went yeah, to their phone fish. into a fake yeah. site, and then the crooks quickly type it into the real site and get in as you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's another point on this, which is that threat modeling, right? People seem to really dump on SMS, but I would say for the vast majority of your average people out there, your threat model does not include some criminal targeting you and cloning your SIM and doing all of this. Because if they're doing that, 
why wouldn't they just steal your phone? Or why wouldn't they, you know, mug you or break into your house or hit you over the head? There's so many other things you could do if that's really what they were trying to target. You know, I, I think for the vast the vast majority of people, SMS is still, a, as you said, Doug, a massive improvement mm. and way better than not doing any form of two-factor authentication. And I think, you know, threat model accordingly. But I think if it's your grandparent or your mother or someone who does barely anything, I would be absolutely happy for them to use SMS as two-factor authentication. I wouldn't be making these kind of arguments if it's government or, you know, enterprise or, you know, public sector or something like that, yet your threat model's different, you know, model, you know, act accordingly, use a proper authentication token or a dedicated app or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, if you haven't got 2FA enabled already, then consider it. And if you're at work and your IT guys come along and say, look, we really want, we need you to use this. We know that a lot of sysadmins get terrible pushback with people saying, oh, it's really inconvenient. It's like 17 extra seconds every morning. Well, it's 17 extra seconds for you, but it can be the difference between making it really, really easy and really, really difficult for the crooks to get into your account. Mm. And that can have an effect on you, on your colleagues, on your employer, on your potentially even on your job. So a little bit of, in, I like to say a little bit of inconvenience, like with 2FA, two, two like you have to remember your phone. How hard is that? I haven't forgotten my phone for years. Uh, goes an awful long way to, 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 to keep the crooks in check. Cool. Thanks, Duck. Peter, Sophos Labs' latest research paper into Robinhood ransomware went live this, this week. Yes, so Robinhood ransomware um, made it onto my list of uh, ones attacking enterprises. So it's been around a while, um, and I think we should probably just cover the names. The name is written in the ransom note, so it's the attackers that have given the name to the ransomware. Um, spelt wrong, it's, or spelt wrong for the original sort of character Robin Hood. It's got two Bs in Robin. Um, I see what they did there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, whether or not they um, steal from the rich and give to the poor, um, not sure. But they did. Well, think of your homeless charity. They steal uh, no, from no, the no, poor no. and give to themselves. Well, yeah, that was right. But um, <laughs> but the when Robin Hood was seen last year, they did actually for I think just a brief period, they changed the desktop picture of the of the victims' machines to a message saying that they were collecting money to basically help the people of Yemen. So maybe it's a weird form of GoFundMe, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there are better ways to do it, uh, and they don't do that anymore. So yeah, who knows? But anyway, so Robinhood has been around a while. But um, what we discovered, and I shall give a shout out to one of our researchers, Vikas Singh. Um, he was the one that spotted this first and realised what they were doing. That's one, Vikas. Yep. Um, they've got this new technique where, I mean, we're all used to vulnerabilities being exploited. You know, patch, patch, patch. That's what we're often saying. Um, so this one is kind of different because the attackers actually bring the vulnerability to your machine. They actually install the vulnerability uh, and then exploit it. So they do this by, they've already got access to your network by this point. They've already got domain admin credentials. They've already mapped out your network. They've already uh, created a script or a form of deploying files on your network from somewhere else on your network, normally a domain controller. So by this point, the sort of, the, the breach, if you want to call it that, is well underway. But they put a executable file on your machine, uh, and this it drops a few other files, but in essence what it does is it takes a legitimate signed driver file from a Taiwanese manufacturer, motherboard manufacturer called uh, Gigabyte, and they install this driver. And this is a legitimate, untampered with, digitally signed driver file that has a vulnerability. 
that was discovered in 2018. And actually, at the time, the manufacturer said their products weren't affected by this vulnerability. A little while later, they retracted that statement and stopped using the driver. However, it still is signed mm -hmm. today uh, by Verisign. Veris yeah, Verisign. And um, what happens is they install the driver and then they use its vulnerability for a privilege escalation attack and they gain system access. Then they can install their own driver, an unsigned malicious driver. But Windows and 64-bit machines has a feature uh, called driver signature enforcement, which basically stops the loading of unsigned drivers. But because they've already got system from the vulnerable driver, they can basically turn that off. So that's what they do. They turn off the driver signature enforcement, and then that allows them to install their unsigned driver, which is solely created to disable security products. Doesn't matter which security products you've got. This driver is running in kernel space at this point. For anyone that it's doesn't God, know, it's right? God. Yeah. It is God. It, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, it says jump, you jump to the exact level it has told you to jump. Um, and they just disable whatever processes they want. In fact, they have a text file called plist, process list, dot text. And basically, anything they add to that list, the process gets killed, and then the file on disk that runs that process is deleted. <laughs> so it completely disables all of your security products, as well as potentially other things. You know, they could be using this to disable SQL and Exchange and whatever other components they want. And then, of course, once that protection is gone, they then launch the Robinhood ransomware. It is, it is an indication that once someone's got admin, any meta-admin protections you have, like, well, you still can't load a kernel driver because it's not signed. Mm. They could easily get past that. They could go and sign a kernel driver themselves, but it might cost them time and money. Yeah. They've just bypassed and that. And arguably, I mean, yes, obviously a fully patched machine is harder to exploit. Uh, and if they all had vulnerabilities that could give them system access, then they'd go right for that. They wouldn't need to bring it with them. But this actually highlights that security products are actually their biggest problem exactly. here. Yeah. They can't beat us, so they have to kill us, mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, uh, and of course this is on that cheery note. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and of course this isn't just targeting, um, uh, this is targeting whatever product, whatever vendor they want. That's mm. why, uh, or at least theoretically, why they have a separate file for the process list, as opposed to it being built in a you know yeah. predetermined list. They can tailor this to any environment. But I just find this fascinating because, you know, they're, they're, they're effectively finding a way to get something nasty inside an environment. They're finding a way to exploit and get, you know, uh, elevated privileges, you know, get, get root on a machine. But they're doing it in a way that's actually kind of hard for a lot of security vendors to deal with. Mm. You know, if you don't have multiple layers of protection, what many security vendors would have to do is just take that nasty driver, the, the one with the vulnerability from Gigabyte, and go, well, this is now being used as bad. Do you block it? But it's legitimate software. Mm. There's probably countless people out there still using it yeah, there in are, real world use. Yeah. And you can't just go and blacklist that now today and say, right, that's now dangerous. Yeah. So it, 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 I think this, you know, sort of, this is the start of a new style of threat vector, which is where old school technologies, which we've had around for years, like we have, we call it application control in our products, the ability to just block certain applications. You might want to be looking to block certain classes of, of software you're not using because someone might try and sneak in your environment um, and install it. We did want to make a point in the article that Gigabyte are 
well, they're not quite as much a victim uh, as the, the ransomware victim, but they are in essence a victim of this attack as well. Yes, they've got a vulnerable driver that really shouldn't be signed anymore. Uh, and yes, they weren't great at dealing with it when it came out, but there's plenty of other vulnerabilities exactly. and drivers out there that, you know, if you block this, they could just easily switch to another and one. I think they're just a victim of being a popular company, right? Yeah. They've just been targeted because they're they're a common motherboard manufacturer. So. Well, I think the reason they've been targeted is that that's the code to prove this exploit and the code to do the inside the kernel that allows you to turn off the driver signature enforcement and then Was the code that actually goes through and kills processes. It's all open source stuff that the crooks have just gone and collected oh, that's been out for and some years. Using this this vulnerability the, no, in this it, gigabyte there's a thing. Series of, there's, there's a vulnerability that gives them the ability to read and write memory in the kernel without themselves being a kernel driver. And then there's the open source code that they got that goes in and finds the particular byte of memory that checks whether driver signature enforcement is turned on or off. Normally you'd need to reboot into safe mode for that. And then there's some other code they borrowed which goes through and kills off processes by name. And as Peter said, they've got this list. That, so that I imagine that list is a, a TXT file because they probably make it on the computer with Notepad mm -hmm. when they found out the processes they want. And that also means that Companies that rely on the fact that, well, the crooks will get in, but they probably won't scramble my SQL database because the files will be locked. The crooks are now going right to the lowest level, killing off SQL, and then they've got a window of opportunity where your database file will get scrambled along with everything else. Mm -hmm. And remember, they are doing this to almost all of your network all the time. So these people were targeting servers and endpoints, uh, you know, at night. So this is not just a single machine you've got to... Yeah, this is, yeah. Um, and I know we like uh, listing CVEs here, so I will just list the CVE for the Gigabyte driver. So it's a CVE-2018-19320. And what's your uh, prevention advice? Well, so this is the kind of typical question I get. It's like, do we stop the ransomware? And in this scenario, the, the ransomware is only going to be run on a machine where all the security products has already been taken down. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a question of do we detect the ransomware, is how do you stop the earlier parts of the attack before they get to this point? Um, so we know, yes, an XC file is dropped on to disk that is then ran. So you have the potential of stopping that file. And obviously, we've got protections for that file. But reality is, you've already got an attacker inside your network with admin or domain admin privileges that is a very dangerous situation to be in. They don't have to use, I've said this before, they don't have to use any malware at that point to do damage. They could yeah. just format your C drive yeah. if they wanted yeah. to. You know, or they're just even just shutting everything down. Dell star. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes. So, you know, this isn't about the ransomware. The ransomware is just the payload of choice at the moment. Yeah. The point is you've got an attacker in your network, so you have to be identifying that as early as possible and getting rid of them. So that's Peter, when you mentioned that at the beginning in your list, that a lot of this ransomware, Ryuk being a classic mm -hmm. example, it typically doesn't come in via an open portal or a vulnerability or an exploit. It comes in on the back of malware you already yeah. had, which itself came in the back of malware you had before that. Yeah, exactly. So there is no simple, yes, we detect this, no, we don't detect this. This is, you need a security team that are looking at what's going on in your network, looking to for suspicious events, dodgy PowerShell, various things happening, and reacting to it. I loved Greg's analogy a couple of weeks ago about the CCTV yeah. system. Do you want to refresh people on what yeah, you said? Yeah, I, I, this is the big problem. A lot of people buy CCTV, you know, 
a lot of people buy security technology but don't really understand what's the point of it. So the same way like if you went out and bought CCTV cameras. If you're buying CCTV cameras, what are you using them for? Are you using them to just record if things happen and if someone breaks in, you've got hopefully a mugshot? Or are you actually buying CCTV so you can capture someone in the act and stop them from breaking in? Mm. If you're trying to do the latter, you need to have a human sat in front of your technology analyzing the monitors and looking at CCTV to go and actually respond to it. And it's the same thing with, with cybersecurity products. You can buy antivirus and install it, but you know, unless you've got someone actually looking at your security products and looking for evidence that someone's trying to work their way around your defenses, all you're going to have is something that might tell you what happened, you know, posthumously after all the bad deeds have been done. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Here's a list of the files that are scrambled. Yeah. But you wow, can tell thanks. that because they've all got an extension that says dot, we scrambled well, you. Well, not all of them. Some of them are doing yeah. some weirder stuff now, but yeah, yeah. that same yeah. concept. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know because you try and open it and it yes, won't Yes, none of my data opens anymore. Yeah. And of course, the other thing you could add to the CCTV analogy is that if you're not careful and you install it incorrectly and insecurely, oh, the yeah. crooks can come in and use your CCTV to see when the security guards are not there so they yeah. know when to break <laughs> Yeah. True. Yeah. Turn it against you. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Peter. Greg, we were talking about a Twitter account takeover. It's a bit different from the normal one, isn't it? It is. It's also not very nerdy, so I apologise if anyone was looking forward to me nerding out. I think it's just a really funny story. I mean, I find it funny. Mm -hmm. So Twitter handed over a student's account to a college which in itself is a really strange mm. story. So there was this Twitter thread that blew up last week. It was from uh, the State University of New York. I think they pronounce that SUNY or S-U-N-Y. Uh, specifically, the College of Genesco. Genesco? Genesio? Right. Genesio? Genesio. This is me. Yeah, it's Genesio. This is me being thoroughly uneducated and actually not knowing of this college. Anyway, uh, so Genesio um, were defending themselves after a student's parody Twitter account of the college. I think it was originally called at Sunny Genesio, uh, then changed to not Sunny Genesio, and then it's now called Genesio's number one fan. But anyway, this account <laughs> got hijacked and taken away from them, this parody account. So the person behind it was a 20-year-old student at the college called Isaiah Kelly. Uh, and Business Insider reported that Kelly had been using his personal Twitter account to vent about being shut out of their parody account, which they'd used to poke fun at the school's sort of social media presence, sort of news they'd been putting out, and, and some of the students. Um, I mean, the, the parody account had changed its appearance several times. And, and, and so the, the problem here was that they'd been, you know, uh, Kelly had been kind of making the account look very similar to the actual college's real Twitter account. Um, and so every time the real one would sort of change, they, the parody account would sort of try and mirror that, which mm -hmm. I think is probably where a lot of this kind of, the, 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 you know, this whole story begins. Um, some examples of some of the content they've been putting out to show it was, it didn't seem very much a, a parody account, was like, uh, there was tweets saying that the university will be keeping its asbestos-contaminated library open and handing out surgical masks to students. Uh, yeah, wow. which I think, uh, yeah, yep. sounds yep. sounds totally legit. Yeah, I'm sure that, I, I, in my head, I see that as parody or mm. satire, but I don't know, people, some people don't see it that I think way. With, the, with the benefit of hindsight that that's what's been pointed out to you, look how funny it oh, is. Oh, if you look at the others, I'm sure. Funny. I think, yeah. I think you can bias, see it from it? the other side. There's this account that's pretending to be the university and 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 is making making claim you can see why the university will go hey what the heck is this yeah yeah absolutely uh, and another one of the bits of content they put out was something about there had been a blackout on the college. So following the blackout, they were joking about how they hadn't paid their power bill or paid the electricity bill. So right, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if we went in, I'm sure we'd find some other tweets in there that weren't that great. But it's a 20 year old. No offense, but 20 year olds aren't always the best at humor. Uh, they're still growing. They're still young. They're still kids in my eye, in my eyes. That's still a young person. 
Anyway, but according to the policy, Twitter's policy, they don't remove accounts that clearly state they're not affiliated or connected to any similar named individuals or brands. Like, Twitter are pretty understanding of parody accounts. I think Twitter's kind of almost mm. built a name for itself that it actually has quite a lot of parody accounts on it. And I think that's a good part of the ecosystem. It lets us laugh at ourselves. It's a bit of fun, right? Um, however, it's not 100% clear how Kelly's account ended up in the hands of the, the, the college. Um, but it does seem that the account was probably registered using their university email address. Uh, and so Twitter ended up, instead of just closing down this parody account, they handed control of the account over to the college. Because that's that's not normal, is it, for Twitter's I've account? never heard of that before, no. no. no I've, I've seen stuff get closed down plenty of times before. Um, loads of parody accounts, because some of them are not funny. Yeah. Um, and they go pretty quickly. But yeah, for whatever reason, this one, they actually handed over full control to the college. And actually, even some senator in the US got involved as well and was like, tweeting, you know, at Jack on Twitter about it as well. Um, so yeah, Twitter haven't said how they got wind of the account and Nora's, uh, uh, you know, State University of New York explained or, you know, claimed that they were the ones that re reported this account and, and asked for access. So it's a bit weird, like how this has happened. Mm. But I think what's really odd is like, how come Kelly was never just approached and someone said, hello, you appear to be doing a rather poor parody of this account. Would you please mind <laughs> yeah. making it a bit clearer that you're a parody? So he's saying that he didn't... No, no just contact. it was just one day. He's got no access to it. And, and then, so it was ended up venting on, on Twitter. And like, I think that's part of where this storm's come from, you mm. know? I think a lot of us would like to hope, you know, if someone didn't like my humour, I know I know there's plenty of people that don't, oh, but you I can tell it, me right? in a nice, polite fashion rather than, you know, deleting all my accounts and, yeah. And, and yeah, take it away from me. I think that seems a bit... So I guess Brash. their argument was it wasn't parody enough. It was more impersonation. I think so, yeah. Even so, you'd think unclear. they would close it down. Well, the flip side, I'm not going no, to bat no, for different. either side here, but I think the problem that, that Twitter also faces is that people complain when there are obviously fraudulent accounts that are misrepresenting mm. people or being libelous or slanderous, I can never remember which way around <laughs> it is, <laughs> speech and writing, uh, that they don't act quickly enough. And the idea that, oh, well, you should contact, if you think the account's fraudulent, should you contact the other person and say, are you legit? The potential fraudster. Because yeah. what on yeah. earth are they going to say, no, no, I'm a fraudster. So yeah. you maybe this is a little bit of a storm in a teacup. But then you'd think they would just close the account. I find it, the thing that's weird yeah. for me is that they've, they've handed over the control. Also, well, we don't yeah, know what if, email address was used. If the email address clearly via the domain belongs to... That, that would, is receiving this that belongs to the university or to an organisation, mm. then is it so unreasonable to hand control of the account back to the person who owns... I guess uh, it you wouldn't, you wouldn't have done it if it was a Gmail account, though. Well, that will be... <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious if... if, if you know, for example, if it was something at sophos.com, mm. then you could kind of reason that that there's a there are sort of terms and conditions, if you like, to get yeah. in sophos.com. But I so assume they would have had .edu or something in the name. It should be fairly obvious this was a university and you think, well, is this staff or students? Well, I was going to say, it's probably something like, you know, isaiah.kelly at yeah. blah, 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 .edu. I, so. you, you want to you it is good that they have a process for handing over accounts because if you contact them saying my account has been hijacked i want it back totally they need to have that process in and they need to have mm. a quick process but from what you're saying it doesn't sound like the university actually asked 
to get yeah, access. Yeah, there's no clarity on that, but they, they mm. I mean, they certainly said that they didn't like ask to get it to happen. Yeah. They, they was the university was saying that they've been given control of the account. Suddenly so got a whole new load of followers. Strange, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's weird because there's not a lot of advice we can give on this one. Mm. Um, it just seems like a really strange happening and potentially an indicator that this could happen again potentially, and it could happen on other services as well. So I think for anyone who's out there just creating any account of any kind, do so with an email address that you own and fully control of yeah. you know if you use your work to set up some kind of parody account yep yeah, a that can come back to bite you quite heavily uh use another email address perhaps use your personal and so on i think that might be our only piece of advice mm. and just saying something is parody or satire doesn't give you free choice to go and be libelous slash slanderous yeah, right. to yeah. make you know saying like well the university is not going to close its asbestos contaminated library it's quite a big thing to say if you're making it look like the university said that so you need to understand why they might feel that they have a legalistic need to protect themselves yeah. Yeah. just because if they don't then they kind of you, they're kind of admitting that yeah. Yeah. maybe that's well, what they Just putting do. a smiley face at the end doesn't get... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're a parody exactly. account, be a really clear parody yeah. account. Like, write it in your title. Go the extra yard so that no one's going to ever, you know, miss construe that your account is not, you know, is, is actually the real deal. I think that's a really good point as well. Yeah, and, and, you know, the fact that you, if you've got a beef with somebody, social media does let you amplify that in ways that sometimes, you know, even if it's, even if you're getting one back at the man, <laughs> it sometimes does give you a bit more leverage than maybe you deserve. And sometimes mm. you just have to suck that up and take it. Yeah, too, right. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Duck, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at DuckBlog on Twitter and at PDucklin on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, I'm AltShiftPrintScreen. I genuinely forgot your name for a second. Thanks. Fido? Who are you? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter as at SecBug and you can find me on Reddit as SecBug as well. Okay, and I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we are at Naked Security on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Please rate and review our podcast because we please, don't have enough on please. there. Please. <laughs> For the amount of listeners we get, I know, we don't have exactly. enough reviews. Please do some reviews. It also gives us more excuses to keep doing this. Only good ones, justify so. ourselves exactly. to managers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, we don't want the rubbish ones. Um, so until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.